0: The October 21st edition of the Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and I'm joined by Ambassador Dick Bowers and Dr. Brick Walker. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
1: Good afternoon, Patrick. Hello, Brick.
0: Hey, Dick. Hey, Pat. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. And uh, before we get going here with our quiz question and the topics, etc., we have a uh, a little bit of uh, celebration to share with with our friends. And this is a surprise to you guys. Uh, This is our 100th podcast uh, from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We started podcasting a couple of years ago, and we added webinars to our program back in March when the pandemic uh, afflicted everyone. But we have 100 podcasts, which include these uh, global news reviews, our Election 2020 series, Global Nashville with Carl Dean, et cetera. And all those podcasts are available uh, under the uh, umbrella of Global Tennessee, and they're on soundcloud.com slash TNWAC. So congratulations, gentlemen, for your hard work of producing uh, the show that we do here every week, along with uh, your participation in the other programs. You're up to 100 podcasts. And of those, 60 are... um, of the webinar video variety so uh well done to uh to everyone involved well in, uh, in the world affairs council we yeah. have uh, yes sir
2: sorry i was just going to say congratulations to you and normally i think when you're the 100th or the millionth or something like that you get some sort of prize don't you
0: Uh, I I heard that uh, the chairman of the World Affairs Council was going to buy us all steak dinner.
2: (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Congratulations. That's quite an
0: accomplishment. We'll we'll have to see if he's in the audience there. And just a reminder that uh, you can find, this is our wall of videos, uh, youtube.com slash TNWAC. Uh, There are uh, a a wealth of uh, uh, global affairs awareness um, interviews and reports uh, stemming from uh, the, the COVID uh, uh, onset back in uh, February, we talked with uh, a public health official from the, the Department uh, of Health of the State through uh, the Election 2020 series, talking about uh, everything from uh, country issues to Russia, China, et cetera, um, up through global issues. And then we had a fantastic uh Report last week with General John Allen and um, Jessica Matthews on America's place in the world, and you can see on the right hand side there. Those are uh, that's that's the list of our podcasts, uh, numbering now up into the 100 mark. So um, all of that there is is available for your viewing and listening pleasure, if you uh, want to take uh, Global Tennessee and all of the uh, various uh, specialties that under that rubric along with you for your jog or your drive in the woods uh, as you go out and refresh yourself, take us along in in the podcast form. Okay, Uh, one more uh, remarkable note that uh, we'd like to share. um, And we have congratulations on the 100th from Doreen Muller and she is happy to be joining uh, the first uh, global news review uh, and I'll, I'll uh, uh, full disclosure. Doreen Muller is a cousin of mine in New York, so uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome, Doreen. Uh, glad you're with us. Um, one other piece of business before we get going. Uh, let me share this uh, blast from the past. Uh, in the center there is Richard Nixon and his wife Pat Nixon, and uh, th- we're, we're going to play a, a little uh, "Where's Waldo" here. Um, ambassador Charles Richard Bowers is somewhere in that picture, um, and as you might imagine, if this was in the ear of Richard Nixon, he probably was uh, looking a little bit younger. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll help you. We'll help you find uh, the ambassador. Can you see the uh, the oval there? Is that the? Uh, does that show up on the left hand side? Ambassador Bowers uh, in the, in the bespoke, bespoke uh, attire of a, a diplomat in Poland. He was uh, posted to the embassy in Poland. Um, can you fellow see him on the, the picture there? Yep.
1: Uh, I recognize myself. I'm looking a <laughs> younger version.
0: Yes, and... and
1: um, That was a dicey moment. The, the, the guy with the red tie kind of like biting his lip there and right next to me is the head of the Secret Service detail there, and he he was really kind of worried that you know wait a minute we're not we, we don't have this under control and the yeah. guy next to him is the head of the polish security guys okay. so i was the polish english speaker so i was translating one to the other and back and forth and figuring out what the what the heck they were going to do
0: now now we had to do a lot of research but we actually were able to come up with a a transcript of of that event and <laughs> And we determined that, uh, that Nixon, he was not waving to the crowd. He was pointing at you. And uh, he said, uh, thanks, uh, everyone, for coming. And uh, Dick Powers is over there. So uh, congratulations, Ambassador Bowers, on, on your- All and all, Dick Powell. OK, uh, let's, let's get uh, on with the show here. We've got uh, our, our topics of the week. And, uh, and Dick, as soon as they come up on the screen here, if you could uh, do us the, the honor. Well, or... we got
1: got our three big topics today. One is uh, Mexico and water wars, or don't drink the water, or who's got my water, <laughs> I got a whole, you know, all <laughs> that's going on. Um, but there's an issue down there, and we'll get into that. Uyghurs and global human rights. So the, the Uyghurs are one of, the, one of 55 ethnic uh, groupings that the Ch- China recognizes but they are being suppressed mightily at the moment by the Chinese. So we'll talk about that. And then we've got presidential debates, uh, international affairs. What's going to happen Thursday night?
0: All right. And uh, pressing on, Breck, do you want to uh, get us through the question of the week?
2: You bet, Pat, thanks. Um, we've added a question to our What in the World quiz drawn from a United States Institute of Peace report. and. WAC has enjoyed a close relationship with USIP and we're pleased to highlight their insightful reports uh, from their website. So each week, question number five in our weekly quiz will be our USIP question of the week. And this week that question is, the protest movement in this country, driven mostly by youth, is preparing for new demonstrations on October 25th, a key anniversary. The protesters have made gains with the support of Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. However, significant challenges remain. COVID and a downturn in oil prices have burdened the government of Prime Minister Kadami, which is facing the threatened shutdown of the U.S. Embassy there. So which country is this? Is it A, Libya? Is it B, Syria? Is it C, Jordan? Or is it D, Iraq? Thanks,
0: Pat. All right, Um, we'll have the answers at the end. And again, uh, subscribe to the newsletter at tnwac.org, and you'll get that in your email inbox every Monday morning. And While you're on the website, uh, please sign up for membership of the World Affairs Council. That's how we buy the ambassador a steak dinner every 100th broadcast. (laughs) all right, let's uh, jump in. Uh, Breck, I think you've got the lead on our uh, top story, which is uh, Mexico, uh, don't drink the water or whatever uh, variation on that that uh, you and the ambassador have come up with.
2: Okay, well, uh, thanks, Pat. and Pat
0: and Dick, I'll, be, uh, I'll
2: give a brief overview on this, but we have a story today about a conflict between Mexico and the United States over water rights along the border between the two countries. Now this is a story that brings together several different strands of the relationship with our Southern neighbor, including the ramp up between the United States and Mexico following the uh, passage of the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, NAFTA, which was negotiated in the 1990s. Another strand is the sanctity of historical treaties between nations. A third strand is the impact of the sort of in your face diplomatic style of the Trump administration. Uh, The fourth strand is internal Mexican politics, and the fifth, and perhaps most tellingly, is climate change. And with regard to the last, climate change, this is a story that may in other future context uh, context, uh, be a harbinger of what's to come all across the globe. So I think, and uh, I know Dick thinks that this is a very interesting story to talk briefly about, and here's the backdrop. The uh, U.S.-Mexican border, as everybody knows, is a very arid region, dry and arid. And in 1944, the U.S. and Mexico entered into a treaty where they agreed to share water with each other from their sides of the border to promote growth and economic uh, development along uh, the border areas. And this this has come to involve billions of gallons of water that go from the U.S. and Mexico and Mexico to the U.S., every year, mostly taken from the Colorado and Rio Grande rivers and their tributaries. Now NAFTA, again, uh, negotiated in the 1990s, increased agricultural trade between the US and Mexico uh, significantly. And as a result, because of this increased demand for Mexican agricultural product, there was a dramatic expansion of cultivated fields in the Mexican border states, especially Chihuahua, which bumps right up against uh, uh, the Rio Grande. And demand for water in the state of Chihuahua uh, has spiked considerably over the last 25 years. But at the same time, climate change has reduced the amount of rain in those border regions on both sides of the border. And there has been a several year, we're in the midst of a several year drought And uh, 2019-2020 have been two of the driest years on record for that region. This year, rainfall has been at 30% of normal levels. So Mexico has fallen way behind in the amount of water it is required to send to the USA. And uh, the deadline for sending that water water is coming up. In fact, actually, the the, the formal deadline is uh, in two days. It's October 24th. Now, farmers, Mexican farmers in the bordered state of Chihuahua, and they grow things like cotton and tomatoes and pecans and onions and chili peppers, those farmers are fearful that they will run out of water and lose their crops next year if Mexico sends to the United States the water that they're supposed to in the next few days. So these Mexican farmers have for many weeks uh, rebelled in one way or another. And initially those protests were peaceful, but they soon became more destructive, and there have been some federal buildings, small federal buildings, burned, and cars uh, as well, federal cars in that area. There's been an incident, a, a brief incident or two of uh, hostage taking, although those hostages were were uh, let loose fairly quickly. But now we have what could be described as uh, a little bit of an insurrection. In September, literally hundreds of these Mexican farmers seized control of the La Boquilla Dam in the state of Chihuahua. Uh, They seized it from an undermanned National Guard unit and one protester, a young woman of 35, was uh, shot and killed. Now that dam that these farmers have now seized in control, that dam controls water that is used to fulfill obligations to the United States. And so the takeover was intended to stop any further water distributions and instead to keep that water in Mexico for use by local farmers farmers. And again, the deadline for Mexico meeting its obligations, and it would involve sending a heck of a lot of water to the United States is, uh, in a couple of days. Now, Texas farmers on the other side of the border, well, as you might imagine, they're apoplectic, uh, that they will not have the water necessary for their crops. The Rio Grande Valley in Texas is a major agricultural area. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has appealed to Secretary of State Pompeo uh, recently, asking him to do something but uh, get us that water. Now Mexico's president, his name is Lopez Obrador. And he has said that Mexico is going to send the water to the United States, whether the state of Chihuahua and its farmers like it or not. And he's dispatched additional National Guard units to the area to take action uh, if necessary, and if he uh, orders it. Now, the Mexican farmers in in, in northern uh, Mexico in the state of Chihuahua say that President Obrador, who was elected two years ago on a center-left political platform, that the president's not looking after their interest. They argue that his political support is centered in the working class of the more urbanized central and southern Mexico areas, and that northern Mexico, where they are, has historically supported Obrador's political opponents. And the governor of the state of Chihuahua, by happenstance belongs to the opposition uh, party as well. Oberdor on his side says that the uh, unrest, that the seizure of the dam is being fomented by wealthy farm interest and the opposition political party to curry favor in next year's elections. And that the small farmers in the state of Chihuahua are being manipulated. And he promises that there will be no water crisis in Chihuahua next year, uh, though again, he's right now is promising that they, that, the, that Mexico was going to send that water to the United States. Uh, further, President Obrador argues that Mexico needs to do this because they have to maintain good relations with the United States. He worries that if Mexico does not fulfill its water obligation, that the Trump administration might impose tariffs or even close the border, which would be a, a significant blow to the Mexican economy. So right this second, it's unclear what's gonna happen, but whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen pretty quickly. Uh, Most likely, I would think that what's gonna happen is that there'll be a deal struck between the United States and Mexico, reducing near term water distribution from Mexico, and that the water which is sent to the United States will come from reservoirs serving Mexican cities in the area and not uh, from these rural communities in the state of Chihuahua and that in return, the United States will give some sort of backstop or will agree to lend water back to those Mexican cities if they run out sometime uh, next year because of the ongoing drought. And in return for that, uh, I'm sure that uh, President Obrador would hope and require that the protesters will give the dam back uh, to the proper authorities. But this is an unpredictable situation. You never know what the Trump administration might do here, especially in the run up to the election. And Oberdorf clearly can't allow this occupation of the dam to go on indefinitely because it sets a bad precedent and it hurts him uh, politically. Uh, So the only thing though that I'm confident about is that all parties from the Texas farmers to the Northern Mexico farmers to uh, both administrations, all I'm sure are praying for rain right now. But as well, this this, uh, cross border clash with Mexico is likely a preview of the water conflicts to come all over the world as population growth and climate change increase competition over this uh, important and uh, vital resource. So, Pat, I'll leave it uh, with that if it's okay.
0: No, that's terrific, uh, and you're you're exactly right that uh, this isn't a, a problem exclusive to Mexico or uh, the desert Southwest. Um, you know, we've had years and years of competition over water, the Colorado River Basin, and and other. Um, waterways that that flow from one state to another, the competition for irrigation and uh, drinking water, and, and so forth. And the Colorado uh, flows through uh, several states, and it's it's critical. Uh, so b- this is really the first inkling of competition um, with the United States and one of our our uh, neighbor countries. Um, Dick, I, I know we we uh, we see especially in areas like the Middle, Middle East, but not just confined to that arid region uh, competition for, for water. And, and I can recall studies uh, 25, 30 years ago uh, when I was still in the intelligence community, estimates of the years 2015, 2020, 2025, that uh, water could increasingly be seen as uh, a reason to inspire conflicts between countries. And uh, what is it, the GERD, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Project, or uh, dam um, in, in uh, Sudan, uh, damming up the Nile River and the Egyptians are, uh, you know, they, they claim that's, that's a uh, existential threat to their, their existence. And if you look at uh, uh, Egypt from space, you see a, a little green line that follows the route of the Nile River uh, up through uh, Egypt, and, and they really depend on that. So uh, you can see how uh, these are, these waterways, uh, you know, a lot of the competition between Israel and its neighbors are over waterways. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's going to get worse. Uh, climate change um, is a problem. There's forecasts that by the year 2050, the Arabian Peninsula will be inhabitable. Um, you know, we're going to see tremendous geopolitical economic shifts and we're already seeing it uh, a lot of the migrants going to uh to europe uh, are fleeing from from war and and other uh economic issues wow. but a lot of that is driven by climate change the crops are failing and and they just can't sustain themselves on the lands that their their forefathers uh
1: lived on. done i jump back to the mexican deal that uh, i think Brett, you did an outstanding job kind of summarizing exactly what the issues and problems are. I, I looked into the original 1944 treaty, and, and interestingly enough, it says it only deals with the Rio Grande River from Fort Quitman down to the Gulf of Mexico. So El Paso is 80 miles north of Fort Quitman, and I said, wait a minute, why, why, why this chunk? Well, come to find out, and then in 1906, there was a convention between Mexico and the United States dealing with that section. Mostly it's El Paso and the area outside of Ciudad Juarez on the Mexican side. So the whole river is now covered. And in fact, there are three water basins the Rio Grande Basin, with all of its, its rivers, watershed, the Colorado, and, and the Rio Tijuana, which starts mostly in Mexico, but partly in the United States, flows all through Mexico, and then ends up north-south of San Diego. So all of these are now covered. But the one other fact about, I think you're right, that, that to the, uh, the 1944 treaty gives preferences that the water is to be allocated according to preferences. And the first preference is domestic and municipal use. So that's basically drinking water for for cities and towns. And second is agriculture. And the idea of, you know, we'll we'll swap some water you can drink in your cities, but keep sending over the bulk water to to make sure we grow the tomatoes. Um, I think that's probably what's gonna happen. And the end end story is my understanding, we send a whole lot more water, water south than the south sends north. So, you know, one hardball option is you owe us a million gallons of water, we're going to keep a million gallons of water that we would have sent you otherwise. So it's not going to be an easy issue. And it's worldwide, as Pat, you pointed out.
2: No, good. Good points, all. I, I think that actually the U.S. sends maybe four times as much water south in different areas than they yeah. receive it. But uh, I saw that same figure, water.
1: but I was afraid to use it because I couldn't verify it. <laughs> but I, it's pretty pretty clear we send more south than than they send north.
2: Now I didn't read the treaty, but so you may uh, be able to substantiate or correct this. But in reading about the treaty, uh, it doesn't have any enforcement provisions, and maybe that's. Uh, not that's so correct. unusual for treaties as a whole, but uh, that's interesting that it doesn't. It just. It's says right. Everybody if, won't... if
1: one side doesn't live up to their their bargain, uh, there's there's nothing the other side can do except, well, we won't live up to our side of the right, bargain. Right, right. And it gets pretty technical. I mean, all of the various feeder rivers, for example, that flow into the Rio Grande, some of those rivers, the we on the north side or they on the south side get a hundred percent of that water in that river. Others, it's Half of that water and others it's a third of that water so it depends on where that that river is in the watershed that ends up flowing into the rio grande or the rio bravo as our friends in mexico call it so it's no tri- uh,
0: no, no trivial issues for uh, the people who depend on that for their their livelihoods and oh yeah and uh their no i mean they,
1: they, you know we didn't get into it but the california i mean the guys go nuts with you know, somebody messes with the water rights coming from the sure. colorado well, All right,
2: LA, let me just add one thing, Pat. If I could, the LA Times, in writing about this conflict, uh, characterized it as as complicated as the movie Chinatown, which was also over <laughs> California water rights way back when. So, there you go. Anyway, sorry, Pat.
0: No, no, no problem. Good, good stuff. Uh, let's move on to uh, the uh, question of the Uyghurs, the uh, uh, minority in China, and uh, we're going to uh, uh, for the first time we're going to actually screen a, a quick video. This is from The Economist and I thought this was a good uh, scene setter for our conversation so let's, uh, uh, let's uh, get this uh, rolling here. Well, that was uh, an interesting uh, report by The Economist, and um, it, it summarizes what's going on in uh, Xinjiang province. Um, I, I would note uh, a, a couple of things. One is the uh, surveillance system in Xinjiang is, is probably uh, the, the Chinese surveillance system on, on steroids, but uh, it is not exclusive to Xinjiang uh, province. It's uh, ubiquitous in China. That uh, surveillance, facial recognition, uh, accumulating big data, uh, knowing who's where, when—that's uh, that's all going on. I had a friend who was flying into Beijing before the pandemic, and walked up to a kiosk, and before they could enter their boarding pass or visa information or any any data, the kiosk uh, lit up uh, with uh, their full account. Uh, it knew it knew who they were approaching the kiosk without any uh, interaction between the individual and, and the kiosk. So that's that's just one example of uh, how big data is being used to keep track of, of people, not just foreigners, but uh, Chinese as well. Uh, there's a system in, in China called the social credit system. Uh, Dick, uh, Breck, I don't know if you've, you've heard of this, nope. where uh, big data is used to track uh, the behavior of individuals and corporations etc with the aim of building a trusted society in which people uh, adhere to uh, the rules uh, and it it accumulates things if you uh, if you jaywalk it it will uh, start to accumulate points if you pay your taxes late uh, there's points that go into the system Mm -hmm. and there there are reports that people have been denied the ability to get on a, a plane or a train because they didn't have enough social uh, credits in, in the system to, to allow them to be a trusted individual. And, and as, as punishment, they were not permitted to, uh, to do this or that, uh, that thing. Uh, but getting back to the Uyghurs, um, uh, we've, we've got a, a serious issue here of how to address that, uh, given the current climate between Washington and Beijing. Uh, the the Chinese are not going to tolerate anybody interfering in their internal affairs. So the likelihood that uh, the United States will be able to uh, change behavior in this regard is uh, what would you what would you guys say about near zero? Um,
1: well, I don't. Uh, to, to change behavior is is obviously the ultimate. But to stand up for liberal beliefs in the world and and a system of democracy where individuals count is something, you know, we need to lay down that marker. The Chinese basically, uh, it seems to me and others, I think, uh, stability and economic advancement are more important than an individual's freedom. And that's antithetical to what at least our forefathers and what this country has stood for since it started out. In the future or, you know, security because people are insecure they will gravitate to someone who promises them some, some security but it's a it's a real conflict between two different worldviews you know individual freedom and liberty and the worth of a particular individual and or are you part of the of a, of a collective and as long as the leadership gives you security and economic advancement, you're expected to toe the line,
0: and and I think the key word in the uh, stability equation there is uh, total control of, of the Communist Party. Yes, um, they they are not going to tolerate any any pushback to uh, to their authority uh, anywhere in China, in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, wherever. Well, you know, I mean, that's
1: a, uh, go ahead, Brett.
2: I was just going to say it's it's interesting though that with all the mass migrations of meaningfully sized populations throughout Western, from other places throughout Western Europe uh, and uh, parts of Asia, it's interesting that issues are being raised that haven't been raised before in terms of, uh, that, are, that are from a government perspective, national security issues. And if there were a large separatist movement uh, to develop in uh, Northwestern China, that would present some problems for the Chinese government and even human rights advocates like, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, on uh, San Suu Kyi in, uh, in Myanmar. Uh, she has come out for not as bad as the Chinese, but you know certainly has been in favor of. So it's just interesting, some of these issues that are raised now that are modern day issues that governments are, and I, again, I'm not in any way condoning the Chinese at all, but the governments are dealing
0: with issues that uh, are are difficult ones right now. Well, yeah, I know, think the, in the case the... of On San Suu Kyi, she... Um... She was elected to uh, uh, the head of government there, even though the military is, is clearly behind what's going on in Myanmar. But she went to the UN and, and openly defended the government's actions against the Rohingya, which uh, are basically ethnic cleansing, pushing them out into Bangladesh, uh, raiding villages. So there, there's been um, open uh, genocide in, in the country and, and she's uh, stood up, she's a Nobel laureate. Uh, there was uh, a movement among uh, some activists, to, uh, to strip her of her title of uh, Nobel laureate. So uh, you're right. It, there's there's uh, being a human rights crusader, and then there's you know uh, towing the line within your own government. So
1: well, one one of the things that the Chinese are trying to do is basically extinguish Uyghur culture. I mean, first off, the idea that there you know there can be Muslims practicing their religion is antithetical to the control of the Communist Party, and I think there's been they're part of this effort on the part of the Chinese for Uyghur women to marry a Han Chinese man so that they can eventually dilute the Uyghur culture and ethnicity. So this is you know I. Blatant racism, basically, is what this is all about. Well,
0: and there have been involuntary sterilizations of uh, Uyghur women.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So the question is, what what do you do? The uh, the U.S. government is uh, you know going toe to toe with China over so many issues, and 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 this is uh, one of one of uh, many issues. It, it certainly is uh, at the top of the list in importance along with uh, security and other issues. Uh, There's talk of uh, boycotting the 2022 Winter Olympic Games in in China, Um, trade sanctions. Uh, What's what's the view from uh, the State Department, Ambassador?
1: You lay down a marker. You tell them this is unacceptable and it's going to impact adversely our relationship. It doesn't mean we stop talking to them but uh, you have a whole panoply of kinds of things. As you mentioned, you can boycott this or put a tariff on that. I think in the, in the bully pulpits of the world, we need to start engaging again. I understand that China and Russia last week became, were elected to the UN Human Rights Council. Well, both of these countries have horrible records, but the way the UN is currently structured and the way the US is no longer leading in the UN like we did in the past, these kinds of things will happen. And China will push its development model, which is we provide you security, safety, and economic growth, and we provide a country you can be proud of. So just shut up and toe the line. Well, that's currently not the idea of, a, you know, liberty as we, we understand it, and the right of an individual to pursue his or her own path to the life they want to have.
0: Not a good year for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It is not. No, it's not. All right. We need Eleanor Roosevelt
1: to... to come back and uh, you know help us out in some of these. Things.
0: I I think the footnote uh, moving on from uh, China and the Uyghurs is that um, uh, there's there's a marked increase in the suppression <clears throat> excuse me of human rights around the world as COVID nineteen provides a lot of autocratic uh, regimes or uh, autocratic wannabes, uh, the cover of uh, suppressing human rights. So, you know, we've seen even in places like India where the, uh, uh, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi is uh, 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 evoking aggressive Hindu nationalism, and the, uh, the Muslim minority there, if you can call 300 million people a minority, um, are, uh, are basically second-class citizens. Likewise, in the Philippines, uh, Rodrigo Duterte is uh, violating every, every uh, canon of uh, human dignity and murder campaigns against criminal suspects, whether they are or aren't. Uh, Brazil, Thailand, Hungary, uh, other, other countries around the world are, are taking advantage of the cover of COVID to uh, put down demonstrations. There was, uh, even in Israel, there was an effort to put down a demonstration Uh, using COVID as uh, the reason to prevent people from protesting uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and and his uh, being charged for various uh, crimes there. Uh, So, gentlemen, any any comments uh, before we move on about the the state of the world?
1: Strong men love fear. Whenever there's fear and insecurity Somebody can come around and say, I will take care of that. I will make it good for you. And there are people, unfortunately, out there who listen, including in the United States.
2: Well, and the one thing, uh, good point. The one thing I would add, Pat, is we've talked many times on this program about uh, the lack of U.S. leadership, in my opinion, at least, under the Trump administration, global leadership has, uh, has resulted in some chaotic conditions throughout the world. And I think maybe this is especially true in this area where President Trump from time to time not only says, I'll do business with dictators, but he actually compliments them on uh, the kind of people they are and the policies they follow. And I can't imagine anything that's more encouraging of greater suppression than that kind of attitude coming from the U.S.
0: Right. The Economist had an interesting chart in their article about the Uyghurs and and human rights around the world. Uh, The United States, among those uh, countries around the world that uh, is a weaker uh, democracy uh, since the, the, pandemics, uh, uh, the pandemic started back in, in the springtime. So um, that's about all you can say about that. So let's, uh, let's move on to our, uh, our third topic. Uh, we've got just a few minutes to, uh, to briefly talk uh, about the uh, presidential debates and we have uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee coming up. Uh, let's uh, switch gears here. Uh, the presidential debate at uh, Belmont University uh, tomorrow night. It's the, would have been the third uh, third debate in the series but uh, they skipped last week due to the uh, illness of President Trump from COVID-19 Uh, He didn't want to do a uh, remote debate, so that one was scrapped, and we're left with um, the event on the 22nd tomorrow night at uh, Belmont University, and these are the the topics there. Uh, The Trump administration, the Trump campaign said that the third debate uh, should have been on foreign policy. The debate commission, um, the head of the debate commission, said that uh, there was really no precedent for that. So these are the topics that uh, will be discussed, COVID-19, American families, race in America, climate change, national security, and uh, and leadership. Dick, what do you think about um, not having an evening devoted uh, strictly to foreign policy, but uh, uh, including a number of other topics into uh, the debate tomorrow night?
1: Well, the, 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 the topics that you have up there, some of them can lead into that, discussion on foreign policy topics. I think the fact that there's not something really focused hard on that is reality of where the US is in the world at the moment. We do not have a glaring, gee, we got fire Bring the alarms. We need to take something care of something in the world. So we're kind of tidying up the overextension that we had in Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. and other places in the world. Um, but the American public is more interested in, I think, jobs, future, COVID-19, schools. So we're focused fairly inwardly at the moment. And I think that'll be reflected in the in the discussion. Although I will posit that President Trump will have a list of success stories on his foreign policy. And he will tout them out like you know, moving our embassy to Jerusalem, getting this, the Gulf states to recognize Israel. It, you know, it looks like we're on the cusp of signing a, an extension agreement with the Russians on the New START Treaty, things of that sort. So he'll have a punch list. Oh, and don't forget, he renegotiated NAFTA. You know, I mean, some of these things are kind of, wait a minute, what is this really a success story? Anyway, that, that's my my take on it, Pat.
0: Brack, any thoughts on the debate tomorrow night? What are you, what are you looking uh, forward to hearing from one side or the other on international issues?
2: Well, I'd love to uh, hear some discussion about their respective strategies towards uh, both candidates, their respective strategy strategies towards China, American relations with China going forward. Uh, it seems like that's one of the two or three biggest foreign policy issues that uh, uh, the presidential, whoever the next presidential administration is, will be dealing with. So. I'd definitely like to hear about that. Plus, Matt I heard there's a rumor, maybe this is false, that uh, as chairman of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, there'll be your finger on the mic mute button during the debate. <laughs> I was wondering about that.
0: Well, uh, 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 I'm not chairman, but but thank you for, for that. Uh, yeah, we're, we, we are having a debate party. We'll mention that here in, in just a second. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we will not be... Uh, cutting the mic off anyone I think, <laughs> I think it's illustrative to see that the candidates uh, in their interactions uh, I think people are calling the first debate a, a dumpster fire. hopefully we won't have that tomorrow night they are they are turning off the mic for the first two minutes of each of the six segments in which uh, each candidate uh, provides two minutes uh, to answer a question. So uh, the, the moderator will be cutting the mic for that portion, but then the rest of the debate will be uh, back and forth. Um, we, we might as well talk about the debate watch. Uh, we're, we're running uh, long on time here, and I wanna make sure that everybody uh, knows that we, uh, the World Affairs Council, in cooperation with the Tennessean uh, and uh, their project uh, on civility Tennessee, uh, David Plazas, the uh, editor of the opinion engagement, section of uh, the Tennessee and USA Today. Uh, He and I will be uh, kicking off a debate watch party at 7.30 p.m. Central Time tomorrow evening. We've got uh, a great uh, collection of guest speakers. Uh, Panelists will talk about the mechanics of elections, campaigns. We've got some uh, experienced uh, people from senatorial and presidential campaigns, um, think tanks in Washington and uh, some local folks here A high school student is going to talk about the youth perspective on what's going on. So that should be a great lead up to the debate. So you can catch the pre-debate watch party at 7.30 p.m. And then we will have embedded in our Zoom meeting room the actual candidates debate. And we will be conducting debate bingo. And we're putting together (laughs) uh, bingo cards with all of the uh, possible terms. Uh, from Bigley to come on, man, um, whatever you think uh, might be the appropriate uh, utterance of, of one of the other candidates. Uh, so that should be fine during the, uh, the debate. And then we'll follow up uh, with a half hour of post-debate conversation. We'll do some uh, surveys of, of the audience. And uh, just uh, as, as a marker here, we have broken our uh, attendance uh, level for a Zoom room. We're, we're over... Uh, 120 attendees. It'll be an interesting management problem. But we will endeavor to <laughs> let everybody get their voice in, in the chat room or raising your hand. Or, you have
1: the mute button, Pat. You have <laughs> the mute.
0: <laughs> or or in, in other way, participating. Uh, so, uh, so join us for pre-debate at 7.30, the debate, and debate bingo at uh, 8 o'clock. We'll watch the debate and then have a conversation uh, afterwards. Uh, we've got some uh, Messages here in, uh, in the box, uh, let's see, we've got questions, uh, Sana uh, asked, uh, hair from Uyghur female prisoners uh, is making its way to our market. So that's not a question, but a comment. Austin Travis uh, says that what's the likelihood of the ICC's initial investigation of China's actions against the Uyghurs moving forward to a full trial? And if that did happen, what would be the impact? Uh, Would the US support that even though we aren't an ICC member? Some general questions for the Gambia case against China and the ICJ as well. Uh, Dick, I don't know, and and Austin, you you probably know the answer. Uh, I suspect China is not a party to the ICC. We'd have to do a. I suspect the
1: same. I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect they are also not.
0: Yeah, Austin is correct that the United States is not a signatory to the ICC. In fact, the uh, State Department has uh, sanctioned um, some figures from the uh, the court over a case involving Israel, Um, and uh, there's there's been some pushback on that. Uh, so we'll have to uh, take a look at that, but uh, I, I think the answer would be that China would uh, resist any um, interference from anybody, uh, the, the UN or a sovereign country, um, as far as interference in its internal affairs.
1: I agree. Now,
0: now whether the ICC uh, has any legitimacy in China, we'll, uh, we'll have to check that out. But I think that's, uh, that's the answer. Um, Michelle Chan asks uh, or comments, the U.S. Um, and Saudi Arabia in five-year wars against Yemen creates the biggest humanitarian crisis in Yemen. Million children uh, will be starved to death. A big violation of human rights. Yes, I, I think um, uh, human rights organizations are are standing up against uh, the, uh, the campaign in uh, Yemen between uh, the Houthis, uh, the Yemeni government, uh, the Saudi military, the UAE, UAE was involved in a larger way, uh, has pulled back some, but that's, uh, Yemen was in terrible trouble to begin with in terms of its economic development. There's a place where water resources um, are, are terribly taxed. Uh, the war has not uh, contributed in any good way to resolving that problem. So uh, yes, um uh, Michelle, you're correct that uh, the humanitarian situation in Yemen begs for an intervention and a resolution of, of the battle there. Unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of the, uh, the proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, Saudi Arabia claims uh, that Iran is involved in arming the Houthis. Uh, there's been ample evidence of that. Uh, Iran claims that uh, Saudi Arabia has no business there. So um, it's probably going to involve a larger resolution of differences between Tehran and Riyadh over uh, their competition before the Yemeni uh, situation is resolved. Dick?
1: No, I was just going to say, I think it reflects the fact that we have been supporting the Saudis in this effort from the get-go in terms of supplying munitions and equipment and various kinds of things. And basically, it has not become a political issue in the United States, except for particular uh, groups who might wanna try to rally pro or con. But Congress hasn't done anything about this. Uh, It's not people talking about, gee, we gotta take care of this kind of thing. So it reflects the isolationism, if you will, or the inward focus of uh, the American public.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, move along here. We gotta get to uh, Breck's question. Uh, But first, I want to mention uh, that if you're not already aware of our election 2020 series, please take a look at the uh, archives that we have of these panels. Uh, We really can't portray in this slide the quantity and quality of speakers that uh, came together uh, for these programs. Um, Ambassadors, uh, specialists from think tanks, uh, scholars, military people uh, across the board. Uh, some top-tier individuals, uh, got involved in this uh, Election 2020 series. And all of these are in the archives at the youtube.com TNWAC. So check them out. We still have the Election Watch Party, uh, the Debate Watch Party, and part two of America's Place in the World. That will be uh, a week from tomorrow. Ambassador Tom Pickering and Ambassador John Kornblum, uh, moderated by Professor Tom Schwartz. And then uh, several weeks uh, after the election, we'll have a, a special program called uh, "What's Next." So that's it. We're going to uh, jump to our question, uh, gentlemen. Any other comments before we work our way out?
2: No, thank you.
0: Uh, okay. Well, we'll <laughs> get uh, we'll get on the, the question. Brett, over to you.
2: All right. The question was again, which country is uh, going to have? youthful demonstrations wrapped around a significant anniversary on October the 25th? And the answer is D, Iraq.
0: Great. Okay, just uh, one, one last uh, note that uh, we are very pleased to uh, mark our uh, 100th podcast and 60th webinar. So uh, we look forward to bringing you more programs, uh in the, in the global tendency podcast series and in our video archive at youtube.com slash tnwhc and of course you can go to our website and uh, look uh, scroll down and see what's coming up on the calendar and uh, uh, sign up for our programs uh, still to come uh, gentlemen thanks so much happy uh, 100th uh, it, thank you it looks, it looks good on all of us <laughs>
1: Yeah, you surprised me with that picture you dug up there. About <laughs> I'm going to have to find one of you when you're in your submarine outfit there. We'll okay,
0: well, good, good luck with that.
1: <laughs>
0: have was a, a good week, day. gentlemen. Good to see you all. Everybody be safe. Thanks for coming.